Hello, humans. Hello, humans. Hello, humans. Welcome to Elite 2.0 Radio on lovely AM 950. I'm talking to you live from the bunker in Eden Prairie. And we have a special, special show because... We got a special show without music um, because we've got the esteemed, and I, th- I think that's an understatement, the esteemed Tom, Tom Hartman with us today. Tom, welcome to LA 2.0, and thank you for being here when it is so early out on the West Coast. Oh, it's, it's, it's great. It's, I've been up for hours, <laughs> and thank you, thank you so much for hosting me, for, for inviting me. Oh, uh, well, you know. Well, thanks for being on my show, and and you know, thank you for having me on your show last week. It was really quite wonderful, and I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, and sure. I've been hearing from some of your listeners uh, as a consequence of that show, so I really appreciate that. And it's been good stuff that I've been hearing. Okay. <laughs> good. I'm well, glad to hear. Well, Tom, you know, I wanted to have you on the show for a long time, and uh, there is so, so much we can talk about. I just want to remind you that, you know, my show is about idealism and idealists, about people who are, I define an idealist as, as people who are working to make the world better. Um, and that is something that you absolutely have been, been doing, I think, like almost your entire life. And I, I wanted to, we want to make sure that we give, uh, you know, an opportunity to talk, you to talk about what's contemporarily going on in America right now, which is a long list of things, but I wanted to ask you one thing in particular about your background, okay? You know, you, you grew up in, uh, in a conservative household. I, I've read that, you know, your parents were pretty strong Republicans. Your dad was a Barry Goldwater supporter. You went out and even helped, you know, campaign for Barry Goldwater when you were a teenager. What, what do I have all of that right? Yeah, when I was 13, I went door to door with my dad for Barry Goldwater in our neighborhood. Um, and, you know, I thought that at, at that time, uh, I mean, <laughs> within three years, I was, uh, you know, I was I moved out of the house and I was getting because I was getting in these horrible fights with my dad about uh, politics. But uh, at that time, I thought Barry Goldwater made sense. Well, what I had read John Storm. My, my dad took me to a John Birch Society. Oh, my God. <laughs> and they gave me a copy of John's. This is when I was 13. And they gave me a copy of John Stormer's book, uh, None Dare Call It Treason, you know, about the communists in the State Department. Right. And I read it and believed it. And it freaked me out. I mean, you know, this was, uh, you know, sure. Just after Cold the, War, I, the missile, the, missile the crisis, Cuban, Cuban yeah. missile crisis. I mean, it was it was a wild time. But, you know, by 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 the time I was 15, 16, the, the Vietnam War was ramping up and I was over it. I, I completely changed my politics. And, and, and what, I mean, did you have a moment of truth? Was there something that occurred that caused you to go from, you know, being fearful of what, you know, the communists in the government to flipping all the way and, and you know, supporting the anti-war movement? I think it was, it was more of a gradual process when I was a young teenager, when I was 15, mostly when I was 14 and 15. Um, let's see. Uh, I was 15 and 66, and that was the year that the anti-war movement was starting to pick up. 
I mean, right. you know, 67, 68 was your yep. real peak. But 68, um, I spent that summer in San Francisco. <laughs> you know, I, I hitchhiked out there. Um, but I, I think 66, 67, I, you know, it was, the, I, I was going through the same thing Walter Cronkite was, you know, you, you, we were watching the, you, I, I don't think you're old enough to remember this. Oh, but, no, no, I am. I, I can recite for you every key event in 1968. So okay. and I know that Johnson, well, you know, Johnson was announcing all of these troop increases and it was going higher and higher and higher. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, th through 67 and 66, you know, we went from watching the daily body counts. So, oh, you know, we killed 10,000 Vietnamese and only 300 Americans died today. And actually the numbers are typically lower than that. It was, you know, right. hundred Vietnamese and a dozen American citizens, but, but they, they literally were doing body counts on the news every night. I remember and that. And then Walter Cronkite went over to Vietnam. I think that was in 66. I, I'd have to go back and look and came back and said, holy crap, you know, this, and, and, you know, Lyndon Johnson famously said to Bill Moyers, you know, when you've lost Walter Cronkite, you've lost America. And, and I, I think I was kind of following that evolution. And then, and then, um, uh, you know, I, 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 when I was 16, I was my first year in high school and I started publishing an underground newspaper. It was called The Jurist and myself and a friend of mine uh, by the name of Steve, who, who was also in my high school. In fact, he reached out to me just a, about a year ago and sent me a note that he had old copies of our, of our uh, newspaper. It was, and, and my dad printed it and it was totally, you know, liberal stuff, right? Um, but my dad was a big believer in free speech and, and in his son. And, and, uh, and I got kicked out of high school for that. And um, <laughs> because I had been formally kicked out of high school, that made me eligible for a GED. So I took the GED exam and, and uh, got into LCC, uh, Lansing Community College. Um, but it, it was, uh, that was, that was the time, you know, and then, and then I started hanging out at MSU. I had gotten a summer scholarship to MSU the year before. Um, you know, just a one-term thing, and um, started hanging out at MSU at the Student Union. In fact, I was living right across the street from it on Grand River Avenue when I was, uh, this is when I was 16, and um, joined SDS and, yeah. and just went all the way, you know, that that was, the, and, and never looked back, really. I mean, I, I, I'm still very proud of what SDS stood for. The, the Weather Underground kind of distracted from it. Right. I had a couple of friends who went that way. One of them ended up in prison for a lot of years. Not so much a friend as an acquaintance. But, um, and, and, you know, we got infiltrated by the, by the Michigan State Police, the Red Squad, and, and the East Lansing Police arrested a bunch of us, uh, you know, on trumped up charges. And um, they're, uh, you know, mostly drug charges and things. And, and the FBI had infiltrated us. And I remember this one guy from the Michigan State Police who was constantly um, demanding, essentially, that we go out and burn down the ROTC building, you know, the, the, right. the Reserve Officer Training Corps. And it uh, turned out that he was a, a member of the, the state police that we learned later. So, you know, it was, it was kind of an interesting time, interesting, interesting experience for a 16 year old. Well, you know, but it's interesting that you, you talk about that because I, I, you know, I was, uh, I wasn't a, yet a teenager in 66 or 67, but soon to be. And, and, and I vividly remember all of that time. And, uh, I, I just, and of course, there was some self-interest. Of course, at that time, I was presenting as male, and there was some self-interest because I was wondering when, you know, when I might, you know, have to worry about getting drafted. 
And as it was, I went through two rounds on the, of the draft, and but always had a high lottery number. And and at that point, there was a lottery, of course. Um, yeah. So, well, l- all right. So let's bring us forward. But I wanna I wanna do two things. First, we're gonna take a quick break, okay? And then, secondly, uh, when we come back, I want to talk with you about contemporary issues of what's going on right now, okay? Um, callers, you're going to get a chance to call in and speak to Tom Hart, the one and only Tom Hartman. Give us a call at 952-946-6205 if you'd like to talk to Tom. We're going to take a break, and we'll be back in a minute. And we're back. Ellie Krug on Ellie 2.0 Radio on AM 950. We have the very esteemed Tom Hartman as our guest today. And Tom, uh, we, we got a little bit of, to get to know you a little bit more about uh, uh, the early 60s and, and how you shifted from a conservative point of view and maybe to one far more idealistic about the world. Bring us up to date. Now, what, you know, where do you see we're at right now in the country? And we've got, we've got, you know, former President Trump speaking at Waco, of all places, tonight. Uh, we've got uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Bobbitt going and visiting uh, <laughs> January 6th defendants in the lockup in D.C. yesterday. And uh, as you and I talked uh, uh, last week, we've got state after state after state after state passing outright discrimination bills against a, a designated community that would be mine, transgender people. What, where do you, where do you see, see that we're headed? Well, first of all, I, I, I want to uh, uh, kind of re, reframe uh, my experience in the 60s, which was uh, my dad, who, who was a conservative, I, I think until the day he died. I mean, when he died, um, uh, in his living room, I was sitting next to him. I, in fact, I had my hand on his shoulder and right across on the wall was his two favorite pictures, me shaking hands with Pope John Paul II and George W. Bush on the USS Abraham Lincoln declaring mission accomplished. <laughs> um, but he explained to me in the 60s that conservatism meant that you're in favor of positive social change. You just want it to happen slowly enough that it doesn't produce reaction, a reactionary response. And uh, so, yes, you know, let's do all these things that you're talking about, but let's do them slowly, methodically, carefully. Otherwise, you're going to get backlash and you're going to get populism and you're going to and, and you're going to end up possibly in a worse situation than you are right now. Now, that was the classical definition of conservatism. Was it William F. Buckley said, you know, a conservative is a person who stands athwart the or astride the arc of history with his hand up saying stop um, or slow down at least. What's happened now is that the people who call themselves conservatives are those reactionaries that my father warned me about. And I think it's really important that we make that distinction, that the, the conservatism, uh, classical conservatism is, is dead in the GOP in the United States. I mean, it still lives on in some people, you know, the David Brooks of the world, with right. whom I disagree, but I understand his worldview. But most of these people are actually reactionaries. And I think that speaks to the state of our country. You, you know, this is the, your question, Ellie, which is that we are in the middle of a reactionary backlash. 
And it's a reactionary backlash in large part. And I wrote about this, uh, I think on Friday, maybe on Thursday um, in, uh, at HartmanReport.com. It, it's a reactionary backlash to the, in large part, to the rapid browning of America and to the rapid, uh, you know, coming out of, uh, you know, non-gender conforming, the, the whole spectrum, yep. you know, the whole spectrum of L LGBTQ. And, and that reactionary, and, and, you see, and, and you see this in other countries that are experiencing a, a similar situation. This is, you know, the, the browning of America to a large extent is uh, because in, uh, from 1927, when we got our first immigration law, or maybe it was 24, whatever, in the 1920s, um, it specified that only, well, prior to that, in 1790, our first law said that you couldn't become a U.S. citizen unless you were white. Um, then in 1924, the immigration law was was put into place that said you could only immigrants could only come into the United States in proportion to their racial uh, representation within the United States at that time, uh, which blocked people, black and brown people mostly, but also Asian people um, from em immigrating into the United States from 1924 to 65. In 65, Johnson blew that up and passed a law that basically made our immigration policy colorblind. And the result of that is that, you know, as, as Jennifer Rubin pointed out in the Washington Post last weekend, we've gone from, uh, you know, a situation where about 60% of America was, was white and Christian to, us, to right now where it's like 45% that are white and Christian. And so there, and the, and the people who showed up on January 6th overwhelmingly came from counties where, uh, the racial composition was changing more rapidly right. than the than the than the median for the United States. So it's a reactionary. We're, we're in a reactionary time, and I think if we fail to recognize that, we fail to understand the solutions to that. Um, and that and that reactionaryism is becoming, you know, kind of all encompassing. You know, it's, it's they're going after teachers, they're going after unions, they're going after books, they're going after trans people, they're going after gays and lesbians. They're going after black people. They're going, you know, just the whole yep. spectrum. It's and 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 they're bundling it all under this this rubric of woke. woke right. They're going to stop woke, which means they're going to stop this changing of America, which which clearly articulates this is a reactionary movement, and the way that you deal with a reactionary movement is very different from the way you deal with a conservative movement. You basically have to defeat it. You 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 can't accommodate reactionaryism. So how do we defeat it, Tom? I mean, you do it in the United States. You do it at the ballot box, and you need to do it in a way that is that is thorough and comprehensive and, and far-reaching. In the media, you do it by by clearly labeling, you know, what they're responding to and what they're doing and who they are and and the tactics that they're using. I mean, you know, the thing that that haunts me is that Benjamin Netanyahu, who is under indictment for multiple crimes, mm -hmm. corruption and crimes. The reason why, you know, hundreds of thousands of people were in the streets in Israel all, you know, every day last week or the last two weeks is because he is he had if his legislative changes succeed, he will be able to essentially fire the prosecutors who are going after him and retroactively change the laws under which he's being prosecuted. So he won't he won't have to go to jail. He won't be prosecuted. Right. Which is exactly what Donald Trump would do if he got reelected. And, and uh, you know, I, I think most Americans don't realize what's going on in Israel. It's not much covered here. And when it is, it's covered in a very, uh, you know, surface way. But that's exactly what Trump has in mind for this country. And he's talking about it out loud. 
He sure um, is. And, and, and that's the danger of reactionaryism is that it actually, in order to stop progress within the system, it very often tries to destroy the system. And, you know, on the theory that if we just tear it down, when we build up something else, it'll be a better something else. Well, just this like uh, Trump, the, Trump's idea for the, what, the 10 cities, you know, that yeah. he wants to build. He wants to build these cities that, right. yeah, you know. Exactly. And, and, and you know, and, and it's not like this is unique to the right. There's a small contingent on the left who are saying the same thing. These are the people yep. who dress in black and show up and smash windows and light fires. We have a bunch of them here in Portland. And, uh, you know, and they think that if they can just tear down the system, the new system that replaces it will be better. Well, it won't be. It'll be a reactionary system and it'll be a fascist system. And, and, and you know, and we're seeing the evidence of that now. Well, you know, I mean, I also think that one way to deal with the reactionaries is to at least try and talk to them. I mean, I, you know, I, um, with my work, around diversity, equity, and inclusion, I, I end up going to a lot of places where, you know, I'm the very first transgender person any of them have ever met. And, yeah, and to while, the best of their knowledge anyway. Yeah, to the best, yeah, right, right. And, and while, you know, there's not everyone that I'm going to get, there are a number of people who, you know, who come up to me afterwards and say, I didn't expect this. I didn't expect you to be the way that you are. You know, you've shifted the way that I at least view you know, my community, trans people. And, and, and I, you know, we talked about this last week. I, I do believe that the vast majority, even those who are arch conservative, even those who are pushing, you know, back against everything, I still believe that the vast majority of humans have good hearts. I do. And, and are empathetic people. It's just that when you're afraid, it's very difficult for your heart to show through. What do you That's think true. about that? You and that agree? was that was the great triumph of Nazism in Germany was was permeating the the German people with fear of the other, you know, uh, focused on Jews. But they went after gypsies, they went after gays, they went after communists and union promoters and ultimately even Catholics. I mean, you know, it got pretty yeah, wild. Yeah, they went that's, after... That's what it starts. It starts in reactionaryism. And that was a reaction. I mean, you know, John Maynard Keynes predicted World War II. Um, you know, because the Treaty of Versailles was so punitive against Germany. Um, and, and then Germany tried to get out of it by inflating their currency, which destroyed their economy. And then you had the reactionary response. And, and it's exactly what Keynes predicted. So tell me this, you know, shifting a little bit, do you, do you think that DeSantis represents the palatable authoritarian the palatable fascist um, for much of the GOP base? Or do you think he's not reactionary enough, even though, you know, he's doing quite the, quite the job down in Florida? No, I, th I think that that's probably a reasonable analysis. Uh, I think it's really important for us all to remember that um, the, the front runner in almost every campaign a year and a half before an election ends up not being right candidate. right right um, you know i mean uh, otherwise let me introduce you to president gary hart you know, or, <laughs> um, you know. uh, so it's it, and desantis is starting to fade quickly right now and it's not just under the the uh the attacks by trump it's because people are you know republicans are actually starting to examine him and, and discovering that the guy's a bit of a whack job 
uh, you know, just in his personal life and his ability to, 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 to be an effective politician. Um, but, but, you know, the, the, the rest of the bunch concerns me. I mean, the Josh Hawley's of the, of the world and, 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 uh, you know, there, there's, there's a reactionary caucus within the, within Congress and, and reactionaries have taken over, you know, the state governments of, you know, at least a dozen states, arguably more. And, um, and, and there's no, no, uh, shortage of, what would you call it? Uh, uh, you know, climbing of ambition, right? Among these power, people. And power competent. seeking. Yep, yep, yep. Right, and 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 they're very competent. I mean, they're you know, it's it's not you know, Ted Cruz and and Lindsey Graham can come off as kind of cartoonish, but you know, there's a whole bunch of other you know, the Rick Scotts and the and the and the Josh Hawleys out there who who know how to present themselves, who have you know the, the good pedigrees, as it were, both both uh, you know, educationally. Um, you know, serving in the military uh, and, 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 you know, serving in Congress with a, with a reasonable uh, voting record, at least from a Republican point of view, uh, that I think are, are probably going to emerge unless Trump becomes the, the party's nominee, in which case he's going, to, he's, he's, he's going to follow Netanyahu's playbook, which is what he's been doing all along. And, and he's going to continue to, although Netanyahu never got as violent in his, uh, many of his followers did. But uh, to the best of my knowledge, he was never, you know, advocating violence against the people prosecuting him. Um, so that might blow up in Trump's face. I, you know, it's uh, we'll see. Well, we will see. Um, and what are you looking for out of out of uh, Trump's speech tonight in Waco? Not that you're like going to be listening to it, perhaps. But what what do you th- how do you think it's going to become even more inflammatory? It'll be interesting because, you know, this is a clear play for revolution in America. He's, he's not looking for voters. He's not looking for people to lobby Alvin Bragg. He's, he is, this is a last gasp attempt to, to tear down the system. This is all uh, to, all to avoid prison. I mean, let's just be clear here. The the man is not operating out of anything other than a fear of, of being in a, in a jail cell. I mean, that's or, or just losing enough of his fortune that he that he's going to have to sell Mar-a-Lago and move into an apartment with his daughter. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it is, she wouldn't uh, let him. <laughs> it could be. Um, but but yeah, I, 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 I think this is probably. Um, yeah, the, I, I, I'm expecting that he's going to be trying to promote more stochastic terrorism that he that he's hoping um, and I, I don't know if he's bought into the the whole, you know, uh, Turner Diaries, the camp of the sta- saints um, world. The replacement theory. Uh, yep. Yep. Yeah. Which is which is, you know, these are the two novels that uh, in, in both of them, it's, you know, the good white Christians rise up and murder all the all the people of color and, and end up with their white Christian ethno state. Um, and these are kind of like Bibles to this movement. And that that was the movement that that animated David Koresh in Waco. It was the movement that animated uh, Jeff Weaver at Ruby Ridge uh, that, that probably preceded Waco. And, of course, that motivated Tim McVeigh. But but America, even even compared to 92, OK, with, you know, uh, Oklahoma City, America is a, a even more different country. You you use the phrase browning. I use the phrase blending. You know, and, and many, many white families um, 
many white families have members of the family who are of a different skin color, you know, through marriage or somehow through adoption or some other, or they have, you know, a dear, dear friend who's considered part of the family. And, and as far as I'm, or, you know, or they've got somebody who's gay or lesbian, you know, or they've got somebody with a different religion, you know, who has a different re- religious faith or none at all within their families. My view is that's going to be our saving grace as America because at some point it's just going to be too blended for people to be, to, to say we're going to go after those people because those, some of those people are in the family. What do you think of that? I think you're right. Uh, and I think this is why we got gay marriage, um, because 30 years ago, people started coming out in large numbers and a lot of families discovered, oh, my God, look at this. You know, <laughs> you know, Uncle Ralph is gay. Uh, who thought? Or Uncle Ralph is Aunt, Aunt Rosie. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, I had, you know, I had an uncle, my uncle Sig. He was my my grandfather's brother. He, his four brothers came over from Norway in 1917 and, and he was one of them and he was gay and he lived with his lover, Rudy, down in, in, uh, in Texas, where they they owned an antique store in San Antonio. And I loved Uncle Sig. He was such a sweet guy. And, and uh, you know. How did your father feel about Uncle Sig? My father loved him, too. I mean, everybody in the family loved him. It was kind of an open secret that he was gay that I wasn't privy to until I was a teenager. Um, you know, so, you know, nobody warned me about him and nobody told me about him. It just, you know, he was just it was Uncle Sig. But he never brought Rudy with him to family events. I'd never met Rudy. I only saw his pictures after Uncle Sig died. Um, you know, so he kind of kept that part of his life uh, aside. But but I think a lot of families, you know, have discovered uh, you know, this. And 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 now you've got people, you know, uh, even more explicitly being out, as it were. I, you know, I have right. a, a trans nephew and uh, it's it, and my and my fam my entire family is, you know, loves him. I mean, you know, we just vacationed with him. And, but Tom, there's that empathetic heart. You know, there's yeah. that empathetic heart showing up. Yeah. Right. And that's and that's the challenge that Trump and the reactionary and hateful uh, Republicans have is, you know, in the past, they've succeeded in turning people against their essentially their own families and or at, at the very least their own neighbors. And uh, and, and the re the resegregation of America, I, I saw a thing a, a year or so ago that pointed out that schools are more segregated in the United States right now than yeah. they were in 1965. Um, you know, the, the, and this is self-segregation. Um, I don't know what to do about that. I, I know that it's bad for this country. And, 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 the, and that, you know, in the, in the countries that are experiencing large, successful reactionary movements, like Italy and Sweden in particular, where you've got, you know, an open fascist now running Italy and a, and a, and a neo-fascist running Switzerland, or Sweden rather, it's because they've got these large encampments of brown-skinned Muslims who were Syrian refugees fleeing when Putin started bombing the crap out of Syria half a decade ago or a decade ago. And, uh, you know, a million of them were absorbed by Germany, for example, which has, which has fed the, the uh, Alles für Deutschland movement. The, uh, uh, so, you know, integration, um, the, the blending, as you, as you say, Ellie, is, is the key to the whole thing. How do you, I don't know how you can force that. And I don't know, this is, this is one of the great, and, and I, I'd love to hear if you have any suggestions because I remember, you know, forced busing in the seventies. And, and of course the word yep. forced is, 
you know, tossed in there as a, as a slur essentially, but it, but it was, um, you know, you had to go to a different school, you had to get on the bus and the, the backlash that was massive. You know, I, I, well, see, I, about four or five years ago, I authored a piece that's on my website titled, um, you know, 10,000 conversations in the lake of, in the land of 10,000 lakes. What I believe is that we need, we need in America, maybe a million talking circles where we go into communities and we get people, we allow them to sit around and talk about what they're afraid of, what their fears are, and in those circles, we have people from different perspectives and different ways of life. Because in my work, Tom, what I find is that if you can get past the fear and people can just get to know you a little bit. And Tom, and I'm living proof of this, okay, because I'm different. I mean, you know, l listen to me and look at me, you know. And I find repeatedly that once you can get past what the fear is, and somebody can understand a little bit of your lived experience, and you understand a little bit of their lived experience, you find out all of these things you have in common, and it breaks down the barriers. It does. It absolutely breaks down the barriers, and then people start to matter to each other. That's the way, but we're not doing that because our leaders are afraid to do that. Our leaders are afraid to put people in situations where they're going to be uncomfortable because our leaders don't want to be uncomfortable. Sure, I get that. How how do you how do you do this outreach, Ellen? Well, you know, I I, <laughs> I got a newsletter that goes out to nine thousand people, and I say, invite me to your community. I was just in Greater Minnesota this week, uh, speaking unbelievably on a Tuesday night to fifty people in a town of six thousand who came to talk and listen and learn about human inclusivity. Well, I've, a talk I've got called Gray Area Thinking. You know, and Tom, uh, and we've got to go here in a second, but, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, for me with my work, here's, I'm jealous of you, okay, because you've got this national, international platform, and you are so, I mean, you're like, I love listening to you because it's like I'm back in a college course. You know, you're, you've got the professor, and, and everything you say is backed up by stats and, and citations. And I'm jealous because you have this platform you can reach so many people. On the other hand, if I had your platform, I wouldn't be getting invited to Delano, Minnesota, or to Norfolk, Nebraska, or Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. I would not be getting invited to those places. And I think it's incredibly important that I show up in those places to talk about compassion, our empathetic hearts, the fear that we have of other. And so um, that's how it's happening. It's just word of mouth. You've got, you know, this Ellie Krug, that's not what you expect. Invite her and, and, and I show up. So I'm very lucky in that regard, but I'm also frustrated. <laughs> well, we, need, we need a lot more Ellie Krug. So. Uh, well, that's very kind of you. Tom, I have just so enjoyed uh, speaking to you. Um, you are, you may not know this, but you're very dear to me because I love your approach. You, you, it's just, and, and it's just such a wonderful approach to the world and the way you're doing things. And, and so thank you for that. As, as a human, I want to thank you, but as an American, okay, I really want to thank you. And um, I, it's been an honor to have you on my show um, by all means, let's please stay in touch. And I'm here if you ever need anything, okay? Um, but just keep it up, okay? 
please Thank don't you. please yeah. don't retire. I know that, you know, you're I know you may be thinking about that. Please hang in there as much as you can, okay? Because we'll do that. Tom Hartman Tom Hartman, America needs you. We really do. Well, well thank you. And, and uh, make sure I'm on your newsletter list, would you please? I'd love to see uh, you know what you're doing. I, I, th- I thought I was for a while. I don't know what's happened. I'll get I you added. Don't, I'll, I'll get you added for sure, okay? All right. Well, Tom, Tom Hartman, thank you for being on LE 2.0 Radio. It's been a pleasure to have you. Go, go forth on your Saturday, and thank you for giving us of your time on your valuable weekend. Thank you, Ellie. It's it's great being here anytime. All right. Take care, my friend. Thank you. Okay, listeners, that's uh, Tom Hartman, uh, (laughs) the Tom Hartman. It's been great to hear him. And uh, um, just I hope you enjoyed that. When we come back from our break, I'm going to talk more about my work and some other things going on in Minnesota right now. We'll be back in a second. Thanks. And we're back. Ellie 2.0 Radio. Uh, Tom Hartman, uh, just as you can tell, uh, a little, yeah, I'm, I'm quite the fan, obviously. Uh, but we have a caller, Lynette from Chaska. Lynette, are you on the line? I am here. Can you hear me? Yes, Lynette. It's great to hear <laughs> from you. Wow. That was just, it was so cool listening. I love to hear because I know we hear Tom, you know, every day, and I listen to him like you do, and it's fun to hear the background of, you know, because, I mean, he mentions these things here and there, but it's just, I was just, like, glued listening. It was just so fascinating. And so, and you did such a good job of interviewing him, and I know he's, I got to be his bodyguard one night at KTNF. The last one of the last times I saw him was when we had one of the, you know, the KTNF events. Right. And so the lady that was, um, uh, Laura, I'm forgetting her last name. She goes, I have to run to the bathroom. Can you like watch over Tom? So, and I was so nervous. I'm sitting next to him, like, what do I say to Tom Hartman? You know, and uh, he's a very <laughs> yeah, but he's a very down to earth human, and that's he one of is. the many great things about him. And uh, he is. I wanted to add really quick before I forget. When you talk about people getting together, yes, I do feel that when people actually get to talk face-to-face with people, it's easy to hate people when you never get to speak to them. Absolutely. And I had an an opportunity years ago, a a friend of the family was running for, I think it was like Congress or the Senate, and she asked me to come to this, uh, they they were showing an abortion, you know, anti-abortion film called The Silent Scream. And so we all watched it, and it was complete propaganda, bogus, whatever. But at the end, she just said, well, I just want you to be there, because she said, you're going to be the only, like, pro-choice person there. And it's a, and they were, they seemed kind of angry and, and at first, you know, but then I just kind of stood up, and I, I just asked, has anyone, does anyone know how long an abortion takes? Or it was just, I was just asking questions, like, people didn't even know. And we did end up having a conversation, and at first I think they wanted to hate me, but the more we started talking, it was it was kind of nice actually. But they started out being all Ooh, what? Because I said I have I've had an abortion, you know, and they're like oh, you know, there was a little like, but I said who knows how long an abortion even takes, and no one even knew that. Right. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, they're, you know, around our fear of other are all these myths. And misinformation. And, you know, I mean, I'm seeing this right now in, you know, the transgender community about 
you know, all these laws passing against, uh, you know, youth and children having surgery, trans kids having surgery. Yeah. Well, they yeah. don't have surgery. There's no such, there's no yeah. doctor, there's no doctor that's going to change yeah. you from a boy to a girl or a girl to a boy um, if you're under 18 years old. And the reason for yeah. that is you can't give legal consent and there's no doctor that's going to do that kind of operation without legal consent. But, yeah. you know, it, it well... But the myth, but see, the myth yeah. and the lie is so much more exciting than the truth. And I think people just get all caught up in, well, I heard this, and, and it's like, yeah, but it's not happening. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, and that's why, I mean, that's why I really said to Tom, I mean, we do need, we need a million talking circles where people are sitting across from each other, getting to yeah. know who they are, live their lived, a little of their lived experience. You share a little bit about yours. And you yeah. won't get everybody through that. But no. we will get far more than what we are getting now. And, yeah. and, and we don't need everybody. We just yeah. need a good number. And, yeah. uh, but nobody's doing that hard work. I'm trying my best to do it. But, you know, you know, it, Lynette, you've met yeah. me. I'm just this one little person that, you know. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, well, but your personality is so much bigger than the person. So well. that's, you know, that's the thing. The energy is what gets us through these things. And sometimes it's, it's daunting. But I guess you just got to keep plugging away. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Well, that was so great. I'm so glad you got a chance to interview him. It's fascinating, and you did a really good job interviewing him. Oh, thanks, Lynette. I appreciate that. (laughs) Okay. Well, thanks for calling. It's great to hear from you. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. Thank you. All right, listeners, we're going to take one more quick break, and then when I come back, uh, I'm going to uh, talk with you a little bit about my work as an idealist. Bye. And I'm back. Ellie 2.0 Radio. I was just sitting there doing seat dancing and forgetting where I was. Okay, well, this has been quite the morning, huh? You know, there's some value to having me live, and uh, it's been, you know, a real pleasure. So I've got a little bit of time here to talk about my work as an idealist. And I, I want to give you a report about this week, which has been kind of a mixed bag. On, uh, on the setback front, you know, on kind of the disappointing news, and I, I know you should always start out with the positive, but I'm going to start with the negative. Um, I had started down the road with Carver County, Carver County, Minnesota, uh, to provide some community trainings, my gray area thinking, as well as to train county employees and maybe do some consulting um, for some county leaders around diversity, equity, and inclusion. We went through all the trouble of me having to get my insurance you know, sent over to them about, we went through the trouble of negotiating a contract. And uh, the person who I was working with very much believed in my work and they were championing my work with the county. And then I got uh, the word back that, nope, not going to work with you, Ellie. No other explanation. No other explanation. So. A lot of reading into all of that. But you know what? I won't be deterred. I'm doing gray area thinking at the Chaska Moravian Church on Saturday, April 15th, from 10 o'clock till 1230, public invited. So I'm going to still be doing my work in Carver County. You better believe it, one way or another. Okay. On the positive side, <laughs> I was in, as you heard me speaking with uh, um, 
with Tom. I was in Delano. Delano. Boy, Ellie, quit murdering the name of the town. Delano. <laughs> Delano, Minnesota. Population like 6,000 on Tuesday no- on uh, Thursday night. And uh, got invited there by uh, the, the uh, Delano's got a diversity task force. And they invited me into town to do gray area thinking. And so I'm driving to Delano. And it's, you know, Thursday. It was warm. I'm driving, you know, to a beautiful sunset. You know, the sun's going down. I'm thinking nobody's going to want to come to this thing. And, uh, you know, it was held at uh, City Hall. And uh, I got there and, you know, there were tables set up for maybe 25, no, maybe 30, 35 people. And I'm thinking, we're going to maybe get 10 or 15 folks. This is way, you know, there's going to be a lot of empty seats. And people just kept coming and coming and coming. I mean, we're talking, we're talking younger people. I mean, they had some people from high school and, and middle school there. And they had seniors there, you know, people my age there. And they were eager to hear about how to be welcoming to people who are different or other. That's what gray area thinking is. It's a tool set on how to be welcoming to people who are different or other. They were, they were very much eager to hear it. And the level of engagement that people, I mean, because the training offers for you to share about your lived experience and stuff like that, the, the level of engagement and some of the vulnerability that we heard was unbelievable. I, I was just blown away. I, I literally, I was I drove back uh, trying, to, trying to eat a hamburger in the car because, or cheeseburger in the car because uh, it was late at night and I wasn't going to be, I'm not cooking at 10, 10 15 at night. And, uh, but I was just buzzing because of how eager people were. And it's exactly what I said to Tom, which is get people in a room, get them to talk with each other, and empathetic hearts show up. They do, because the vast majority, 98% of all humans, you've heard me say this five, five million times, vast majority of humans have good, empathetic hearts. Okay, well, all right. So that's my report about me as Ellie Krug, the idealist. Next week, coming up, we'll have another show for you. Um, hopefully, we'll have a guest. We'll see. I'm working on things, always trying to work on things on top of other things I'm working on. A big thanks to my producer, Dan, today. He's had to do a lot of juggling. You did a good job, Dan. And uh, to you, my listeners, I really appreciate you tuning in, appreciate you listening, appreciate you sharing about this show. I hope that between now and when you hear my voice next, please go do something for me. Please go and do something to make the world just even a little bit better. Okay? All right. Talk to you next week. Thanks so very much. Ellie Krug, over and out. <laughs>